Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Myths That Make Us podcast. Uh, this is going to be a little different episode. Um, I'm going to share the intro excerpt from the journaling course that I just released. Uh, it's called My Dharma. And I thought that it's honestly probably the most clear and potent articulation of what it is that I'm trying to do in the world with my company and you know what it is that my soul is called to do. And I wanted to share this as an episode so you guys, first off, um, could just kind of see me a little bit more clearly and what it is I'm trying to do and why it is that I'm doing it. And to be honest, I'm also sharing it because I want you guys to take the journaling course. I want this to be something that people have access to because I think it's one of the most important things that I have personally done to transform my life. And I also know that it can be the thing that can transform your life. If you guys are interested, and I'm assuming that you guys are, by my obsession with stories and how I think stories create our, our lives, journaling is the way that we can take conscious participation in the creation of the world that is our life through the stories that we make. So I hope you guys enjoy. And if you feel called, please check out the course. Um, you can just go to my website and it's the button at the top right called Make Your Myth. I love you guys. Namaste. You are the average of the five stories that you tell yourself the most. James Clear. The day my story became stories. One Sunday, Texas afternoon, on the precipice of graduating college, and still confused about what exactly I would do once I did, I ate some mushrooms and I went for a hike. I was at a threshold. I love how I feel on two grams of mushrooms. It's a kind of cognitive drunkenness that comes with an increase in what feels like my ancient animal intelligence. I can't find and I can't focus my mind well, but my senses come alive. I feel my skin hot around my muscles. I feel the pulse of blood pumping like the tide in my limbs. The volume of the subtle symphony of nature rises and the mercurial transformations of light and shadow deepen. The modern tamed man dissolves into the ancient wild man. In this space, my ego steps back and gets to observe a greater intelligence move through me. As the psilocybin metabolized, trees began dancing, and the ground glittered with sacred geometry. I found my body playfully balancing on a log, and he was laughing with tears in his eyes. My ego slowly began to understand why the, why the wild man was laughing. We'd remembered what we are going to do with this one precious life. We knew then we were going to study the power of stories, how they create our worlds, and how we can recreate them to manifest our potential. Up to that point, I had read hundreds of psychology and philosophy books. Academic psychology felt scattered to me. There were so many theories, models, branches, and disciplines, but I could intuitively feel that I was brushing up against a thread connecting everything that I was reading. 
Like the parable of the blind men describing different parts of the elephant, I had spent years feeling the tusks, tail, feet, ears, and trunk of psychology. And that day on mushrooms, I realized the elephant. Laughing on that log, I saw that almost all of psychology and philosophy came down to what stories people tell themselves about themselves and the world. Creative insights are mysterious and delicious. I don't know what it is about that day, that hike, those mushrooms, and that log. But five years of thousands of hours of study crystallized. I felt a clarity in my body. That day I knew the greatest artistic contribution I could offer humanity in my lifetime was to teach how we can retell the stories that we tell ourselves. The myths that make us. I'm going to put on my grandiose philosophical cap for a moment and try to explain why stories are so profound. It's going to take me many books to say everything that I want to say about the profundities of stories, but this is a mall park lot mixtape version of what I hope to create one day. Language is to the psyche what hands are to the body, and as our hands gave birth to technology which changed the course of our evolutionary destiny, language gave birth to stories, and stories created the world. First, let's talk about our hands. Our hands changed the fucking game. They are the bridge that allows our consciousness to alter the physical world through our bodies. As we developed as a species, our hands, fueled by consciousness, started channeling creativity, divinity. Our hands were the portals that allowed technology to enter the world. We began using rocks to hunt larger animals, sticks to reach higher fruit, fire to bring light to the night, and on and on. Technology allowed us to alter the three-dimensional world in a way that improved our species' ability to survive. The birth of technology changed the course of our evolutionary destiny. The birth of technology was when man became cyborg. Language is like this. Language is the hand of the psyche, and its technology is story. Think back to the earliest memory you can recall, and how old you were. Almost everyone's first memory is around age three, and that is because our little world doesn't enter conscious awareness until we've developed enough linguistic architecture to tell stories. And this happens around the third year. Let me stop here and slow-mo for a moment. It is the ability to tell stories that literally creates your conscious experience of the world. Your conscious experience is your world. Most of us, most of the time, think that the world is quote-unquote out there. There is a world out there, but whatever you believe that the world is, is an experience arising in your conscious mind. You can never experience the objective world. You create a model of the world, and it is the only thing that you can experience. The world is your world, and it is created by stories. By the time you're three, you've already downloaded dozens and dozens of stories from your family and your culture, 
And culture, at its core, is a collection of collectively agreed-upon stories. Stories are the psyche's technology. It is how the mind of man cuts the face of infinity into the finite. Here are a few things that we know scientifically about stories. And the last point is not supported by evidence. It is just my brain doing its motherfucking thing. Number one, the stories that you tell yourself literally determine what your sensory systems notice in any given environment. Number two, Stories are what allowed Homo sapiens to cooperate in groups greater than 150, which has given rise to culture and civilization. Stories are what regulate our emotional systems. Stories are what give us hope and meaning amid life's inherent suffering. And number five, this is just my brain doing its thing. Stories are the foundation of culture, and culture are, and cultures are the most powerful forces on the planet. The personality of a culture is a god. It's a Zeus, an Odin, a Vishnu, etc. The rise of language is when the cyborg became the magician. If I take off the pretentious philosopher's hat and just talk like a human, this is what I'm trying to say. The possible ways that you could interpret your life are practically infinite. The way that you interpret your life literally determines what you notice in the world and in your life. The way you interpret your life massively affects your health, emotions, and potential success. It affects every shade of your life, and you have the ability to take conscious control of your myth-making. But like the story of Frankenstein highlights how the misuse of technology can create monsters, the same is true with stories. The misuse of our myth-making power is one of the greatest sources of unnecessary suffering in the world. The Matrix is real, and you're the architect. Movies are one of our primary sources for the stories that we tell ourselves. And the Matrix is one of mine. On a level more literal than we realize, the Matrix is real. The Matrix is the set of stories that we unconsciously created in childhood. As infants, we come into the world completely open to receive stories. We get stories from our parents and our culture. But the deepest ones are the ones that we tell ourselves in response to not having our needs met by our parents, and by culture when we were children. Every one of us had moments where our needs were not met, some more dramatically than others, but each of us, when we first felt abandonment, betrayal, manipulation, unsafe, or harmed, began weaving a story to justify why these events happened. These stories create what Joseph Campbell calls the ordinary world. Jung famously said, until the unconscious is made conscious, it will control your life and you will call it fate. Our childhood stories are mostly unconscious. For example, I felt resentment from my siblings for the love that I received from my parents and strangers. This created a feeling of guilt that led to workaholism that I use as a subtle self-harm to keep me from enjoying my life as deeply as I know I can. I had a partner who as a child felt abandoned by her father. 
which led to a distrust of men that created a drive to learn how to seduce men, to control men, so men could not abandon her. I have another friend whose brother put her family at risk when they were young, and because that brother chased money his entire life, she has a visceral belief that those who have money are wicked, and so she unconsciously sees to it that she never has money after the monthly bills are paid. Our artistic ability to weave these stories is infinite. We are all greater artists than we realize, and we all have a tapestry of stories cocooning the wounded child inside us. For all of us, our matrix was cobbled together by this wounded child. They did their best, but they were like Dr. Frankenstein. Without knowing better, they created something that causes more suffering than fulfillment. The call of the conscious adult, the magician that we all are, the call to the spiritual path is the call to remake the matrix that you find yourselves in. Destroying the acorn. The beauty of the matrix is that each of us has the power of Neo to transcend the limitations of our primary stories. That if we follow the white rabbit, which is a symbol for answering the call from that whisper inside, we will connect to our true love, our daemon, which is represented by Trinity, and that path will bring us to our mentors, which is represented by Morpheus, who will give us the tools to begin waking up, which will lead us to face Agent Smith, which represents the fundamental force that resists us on our path to manifest our potential. The map that I got from the Matrix is this. Step one, be the one. Hint, you already are. Step two, seek to know the matrix. Step three, follow the synchronicities, the white rabbit. Step four, say yes to the mentors. Step five, train. Step six, say yes to facing the eternal force that opposes your growth always. This is resistance. This is Agent Smith. Step seven, Liberate yourself just enough from the matrix to begin helping others. Let's break this down using one of Jung's favorite metaphors for how the human psyche grows towards its potential, the acorn. After decades of working with thousands of patients, Carl Jung, one of the most insightful psychologists that Western culture has ever produced, found that every human psyche seems to be seeking the same thing what he called the individuation process. This is the name that he gave for what most of us would understand as the urge to manifest our highest potential. He used the example of the acorn to express this process. Inside the acorn is an energy that knows what it is meant to be, the mighty oak tree. As the acorn sleeps in the soil, this energy is always working to transform the acorn. Eventually, the seed will break and the life inside will burst forth. Roots reach down into the dirt. A stem begins to emerge into the light. There may be droughts, fires, or gravel resisting the acorn's growth. But as long as life flows through the plant, it will not stop. Until its last breath, that energy within the acorn seeks to become the oak. Your primary stories, 
the Matrix, make up the shell of the acorn. They protected you when you were young and vulnerable, but hidden inside your matrix is a whisper. This whisper is what the Greeks called the daemon, the Persians called the genius, and what some Christians understand as the soul. It is the force inside you calling you to be who you could be. Your daemon has a single goal, for you to manifest your potential. And like the energy in the acorn, our daemon requires us to break out of the ordinary world. There's a quote from the movie Honey Boy that I love. A seed has to totally destroy itself to become a flower. That's a violent act, Honey Boy. We all know these whispers. Go to that beautiful woman and ask her name. Start that company that you're always thinking about. Leave this relationship that you know is not for you. Tell that person how you really feel. Pick up that paintbrush. Write that memoir. Go to that city. Leave this job. Live this one precious life fully. And we all know what it is like to say no, to refuse the call. Apathy, pessimism, depression, anxiety, addiction, and bitterness creep into our lives to numb the whispers of our daemon. And this is one of the forms of Agent Smith. If you feel these emotions, you are not broken. You are simply an oak tree that's trying to stay an acorn. To answer the call of your daemon is to destroy the acorn. My hypothesis is that the acorn metaphor represents the fundamental game each of our souls is playing, and that to flourish, we have to create stories that help us navigate this game most effectively. That is the goal of my life's work. Creating Cathedra. Let's review for a moment. We are finite beings embedded in an infinite universe, and it is through our stories that we carve out our little world that we call life. There seems to be a game that our psyches are compelled to play. It is the acorn game. It is the game of manifesting your potential. The most adaptive stories that we can tell are the ones that help us play this game our soul seeks to play most beautifully, effectively, and enjoyably. And this is why I have created Cathedra. Cathedra is what my daemon is calling for me to give birth to. It is a company, and I see companies as spirits, whose goal is to help people connect to their daemon, because our daemon is the most effective guide we have to navigate the acorn game. Our daemon is what Jung would call ourself, the part of us that exists outside of space-time, in some way that my logical mind cannot grasp and is the guide inside ushering you through your cycles of transformation. When one learns how to listen to this force, we get people like Socrates, Jesus, Gandhi, and the pantheon of artists and creatives that have revolutionized our species' evolutions again and again. Cathedra is Latin for seat, a cathedra is the name given to the throne that a bishop sits on when they teach. When a church has a cathedra, it officially becomes a cathedral. 
And I personally don't resonate with Orthodox Christianity. My intuition is that we get the word demon from old monolithic religion's attempt to disconnect people from the direct experience of the divine, which is your daemon. And so they created stories about how this inner voice is evil. Well, Cathedra is about helping people create an inner cathedral, and the throne, the Cathedra, is meant for your daemon. I believe that the most useful map that we can use for the acorn game is the hero's journey. And the most effective guide that we have on this journey is our daemon. This is my dharma, to create a spirit that helps people hear that inner whisper and to give them the tools and the experiences to let that whisper destroy who they thought they were so that they could become who they are. This course is the first stem of my oak tree breaking the soil. I hope it bears fruit for you.